If you literally say, okay, I don't have proof in my life that any of this is going to work out, but I can decide tomorrow to wake up at a better time, to do a strict morning routine, to move my body, to get my health on, get my sweat on, and to put in and create some real work. And if I just do that consistently over time, just trust in the process, you won't even be able to manifest this stuff. But it requires belief. It literally requires you to have belief when there's no proof of it. You're listening to The Traffic and Funnels Show. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Traffic and Funnels Show. I'm here with Mr. Dan Martell. Dan is a successful entrepreneur, investor, mentor, and coach to uh, huge SaaS companies like Intercom, Hootsuite, Udemy. He's a husband. He's a dad. Not only that, this might be the icing on the cake. He is a Canadian. Oh, we! I get some points for that one. Proud Canadian. I love Canadians. Okay, cool. You guys are, are great. You have great humor. You've exported a lot of great comedians. I've got a lot of uh, Canadian friends. We apologize so. for Justin Canadian. Bieber, though. Yeah. There's that. Yeah, that, that, that probably takes it down quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> but no, man, it's, it's great to have you. Thanks for your time today. Can you just kind of give the, the folks who are listening to the show just a little bit about you, your passion, who you are, um, just kind of two minutes, your story? The, the quick version, um, software is my passion. So B2B SaaS software as a service, if you hear me say SaaS. Um, reoccurring revenue is my jam. Um, the story around that is I grew up in a really challenging environment, uh, diagnosed with ADHD when I was 11 taken out of my house, put into crisis uh, centers, foster homes, group homes, you know, 12, 13, 14, ended up in jail twice by the time I was 17. And um, at 17, I found myself uh, in a high speed chase, high and drunk, trying to get away from the police and smashed into a house uh, thinking, you know, I was going to pull a a movie scene, hide out in a garage. Um, And when I crashed, I pulled, uh, there was a handgun in a bag sitting next to me. And uh, I was going to let the police take my life. And uh, for some reason, the gun got stuck. And I woke up sober the next day in a jail cell, wondering what my life was going to look like. So ended up doing six months in an adult facility for the severity of my crimes. Um, probably not what you thought a Canadian was going to share right off the bat. But no, um, I didn't know that was possible for Canadians. Oh, yeah, yeah. There are there are some <laughs> some devil children out there. But um, I ended up in a therapeutic community called Portage. It was a rehab center for adolescents. And I did uh, 11 months there rebuilding, you know, my, my, my emotional, you know, feeling management, self-esteem, um, confidence, mm. rebuilt the relationship with my family. It was at the end of that program. I, uh, was helping Rick, the maintenance guy, clean out this cabin. It was an old church camp and there was a 486 computer with a yellow book on Java programming sitting next to it. And I opened it up. It read like English, which I thought if it was a programming book, it'd be like, you know, hieroglyphics and hexadecimal numbers. Right. And I uh, followed chapter one. I got the computer to say, hello world. I literally thought, and I mean, this is unfortunately didn't happen this way, but I thought I was like some secret, you know, uh, computer programming genius. Uh, and, it, and what's funny is that belief <laughs> ended up being the reason that I, I just got, honestly became my new addiction, software development, mm. writing code. Um, there was something beautiful about it. And then entrepreneurship, literally, I've always been entrepreneurial, just nothing legal. Um, when I got out, uh, I decided to start building software companies and 
there's something I think about the reoccurring revenue model that's always been, you know, spoke to my soul in regards to the, you know, the consistency and, and normalcy yeah. and, and just, you can count on it. And I just felt like growing up, I didn't have a lot I could count on. And, and here mm-hmm. I knew that if I built something that added value and, and, you know, I had to rebuild that trust every month, it just, it just felt right. And it's what I've been doing now for 20 some years. That's awesome, man. What a story. <laughs> I definitely wasn't expecting that. I'm interested now that I know this story, how much of your drive is tied to your history as a kid and teenager and, and all that? What would you say, how much of your drive is tied to that? And then how have you had to evolve as a leader and entrepreneur to let go of the unhealthy stuff? Yeah. Right? And that's a, that, I mean, Chris, that's such an incredible question. Um, I'd say today, 80% is of my drive comes from you know, for some reason, making it through that period of my life. I mean, growing up, I didn't think I'd make it past 21. And and nobody mm. else did either. Like literally to this day, people that don't know my current story of, you know, exiting the last three companies, becoming a millionaire at 27, investing in 40 plus software companies and, you know, and continuing to build my empire, like they just thought Dan's dead, you know, and I and I yeah. meet them at the mall. And they're like, holy moly, you know, and today I live this truly like lucky life. And I have an amazing relationship with my family and my brothers and my sisters. Um, Mm. So I'd say, you know, it's just, it it just evolved, right? So like when I got out, um, you know, I had this really unhealthy addiction to working. Like I literally would write code for a hundred hours a week and it was normal. I didn't want to talk to people right now. I'd consider myself an extreme extrovert. Um, but back then I was more of Mm. the, the thing that spoke to me as software is just build it and people use it and I don't have to talk to anybody. And, uh, turns out if you want to build a business though, (laughs) takes people, what a crazy idea. So, you know, I've, I've hired and and managed over 500 people now in my career. So big, big shifts in that front. So just a lot of stuff, but the unhealthy stuff, I think it's, you know, for me, entrepreneurship became the ultimate personal development program. So I've been on that train inadvertently in rehab portage literally built personal development into their curriculum. Didn't know it at the time. Definitely look back and feel so blessed. Um, and then, you know, just continuously always try and ask myself, you know, who do I need to become to get to that next level? Because I really think that's the question we have to ask. We look in the mirror. If, we, if our business or our lives aren't where they're at, we just got to go look in the mirror and mm. ask ourselves, you know, who do I, what change do I need to make around my thinking, my actions, my habits, my routines? To unlock that. So, I mean, I can, I can systematically go through all those negative beliefs, scripts, whatever you want to yeah. call them, but there's been, you know, thousands since that moment. Um, but I just feel like I had people looking out for me that uh, believed in me more than I believed in myself. Incredible. With that drive that you have, and you said in the past working hundred hours a week, I'm curious as a husband and as a father, how you find but a lot of people, they try to find, you know, balance. How do you equalize and how do you make sure that you don't leave your, your wife or your, you have two boys, right? Yeah. Two, two young you kids. Know. I mean, so, so full, full transparency. I'm an open book, as you can probably tell. Um, I was engaged prior when I was 27, uh, 26 to 28, um, which was crazy because um, right around the time I literally came home and my fiance at the time was a mess took her ring off, Mm. dropped it on the kitchen table and walked out. And two months later, I sold my company for millions of dollars and had, didn't have like literally, it was so weird. It was like this, this, my identity was in this business. And then my Mm -hmm. fiance leaves. We were getting married in like 
six weeks. And like, I mean, it was crazy. Um, so that, that, that was another point in my life where I had to go down a different journey. Cause what, what frustrated me for so long was why was I so good at business and so bad at relationships? I'm like, I'm not an idiot. Mm. Like there's, you can't, con- right. I, I couldn't say I'm stupid cause I'm like really good at this business thing. But yet for some reason I couldn't figure out how to translate it into, you know, having a partner. Right. And, re- and right. honestly, maybe right or wrong today, I realize there's a balance around this, but the way I live an integrated life today, and this is what I call, I even did a whole YouTube micro doc on it. Um, is I leverage all the business processes that I learn and just ask myself, what would the equivalent be for, for my relationship and, my, and the way I, mm. I, so there's a few things. One, I have fundamentals that I try not to break. So commitment to others, my success habits and my business metrics. Like if those things are good, that's a really great filter for me to say yes or no to a new opportunity. I think most people don't have that. So right. they say yes to everything and they get themselves in trouble. So there's that. But on the personal level, um, Again, you're gonna, this is going to be familiar for anybody that's read Traction or Scaling Up or any kind of business growth book. I mean, we do weekly meetings, my wife and I, every Friday at 1130. I haven't missed, like, that's what we do. Uh, we go through everything, but for our, for our family, we, we plan the weekend, we talk about the quarter, we talk about our goals, we talk about, we give ourselves a score. How have I been for you as a husband out of 10? She, said, she asked me the same question as a wife. We have that moment every week to kind of reset the heartbeat. Um, yeah. And then we do quarterly reset retreats where we disconnect for three nights. So we got one coming up. Um, Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 quarter, essentially it's quarterly planning for our lives, right? Because yeah, if you don't do that, um, for me, I mean, like, there's no point in being rich if you're not gonna like have a higher quality of life. You know, like right. I always laugh at the guy that's you know incredibly wealthy and then he doesn't want to take his shirt off at the pool because he's out of shape. Right. It's like you want to, you know, you want to you want to take advantage of those resources because that's really all they are. And, um, and then we do a bunch of stuff like that in regards to um, how we raise our kids, you know, so we have core values as a family. Um, I created this thing called, you know, uh, the Martell mindset. What does it mean to be a Martell? If you ask my boys, they'll, mm. they'll rattle off the seven things, right? Dude, that's yeah. awesome. And they've been, they've known this since they were three and four. Like it's, you know, that's not what Martells do, you know? And, and I got that from like, just like watching. Cause like, my whole thing was question everything, right? Question religion, question, you know, but like, why, yeah. why do we have these things? Why is there like a rite of passage as a 13 year old in most cultures, you know, where right. they, they go into either a mountain climb or a scenario for a hunting or whatever it is. And it's like, what would my equivalent be if I got to create it from scratch? And the cool part is we do, we get to. Yeah. And um, that's been the biggest thing. That's why I call it an integrated life. Nope, nobody will work harder than me. Um, but I also, uh, balance myself every week. I build vacations into my day. Um, I mean, you know, fairly, I mean, yeah, I'm pretty disciplined, like get up at 5am even on weekends. Like I'm just, I just figure out what worked for me. Right. Yeah. That's amazing, man. Because, you know, that's something that was, it was honestly kind of a fear of mine coming from a family who is not entrepreneurial, but my dad was in military. And so we had a fairly healthy, um, home growing up. But coming up into entrepreneurship and, and seeing so many entrepreneurs who they've had very successful businesses, but disastrous relationships, marriages, families, divorce over and over. So that's beautiful. And I hope that people that are listening to this really, you know, of course, we'll, we'll dive into some stuff about SaaS and scaling businesses. But I think without the family stuff being healthy and right, are you really successful? So many people are, man, how do I grow a business? How do I scale? Kind of this sexy stuff. 
But I think really to be holistically healthy is to truly be healthy and successful. So thank you so much for sharing that, man. It's awesome. So with that being said, um, I'm really fascinated by SaaS and the SaaS industry. And I've, I've studied uh, different companies. Of course, we're not in SaaS. You know, we're in consulting, coaching. So there are, are challenges with that in regards to scale. I've heard you use the word velocity, um, words that are really interesting and intriguing to me. And so to see the comparisons of SaaS and what we can draw from on the coaching, consulting, direct response side, um, I'm just interested because you use a phrase, you sent me a video, and you call it growth stacking, right? Essentially how to grow a business quickly, and in your case, a SaaS business. So one, can you lay out what is what is growth stacking, and then maybe how people who aren't in SaaS can utilize that strategy to grow their business? Yeah, so... You know, my podcast called Escape Velocity, which I think is where you probably saw that. But to me, it's it's all about repeatable, scalable systems. And 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 escape velocity is essentially the speed of travel that's required to break free of Earth's gravity. And that that literally happens to the slacks, the dropbox, the the you know, the yeah. Tesla is like there's a point where the effort, that incremental push gets you an astronomical bigger output. And it's yeah. hard for entrepreneurs to understand that in business because it just feels like such a slog, right? But, you know, Jim Collins wrote about it in, uh, in Good to Great about the flywheel. Um, yep. But yeah, so growth stacking for me, uh, I'll give you the quick history first, it is a guy named okay. Andy Johns. Andy Johns is nobody's ever heard of him. And that's what I love about him. But he's also the growth guy behind Facebook, Twitter, Quora, and then more mm. recently Wealthfront. Like literally... When people say growth hacker, the guy like Andrew Chen, who coined the term growth hacker and Sean Ellis, who technically created the thing, both those guys were formal advisors to me in my last two companies. Um, they point to Andy as the, this is, this is the, tr this guy, you know, he's the, Got it. but nobody knows who he is. Um, and Andy Johns and I were speaking at a, the growth hackers conference one time and we got to spend time in the green room. And I just said, Andy, what's your, what's the fundamental principle behind what you do? And he's, and he's, uh, and that's, He's a big finance guy. And he says, the way I think about it is kind of like, you know, and, and I think it was uh, Einstein that said one of the most powerful forces in the universe is compound interest, right? It mm -hmm. might be, I don't know if yeah. it was Einstein or somebody like that, but um, his whole thing was it's, it's really about building compound interest in your growth channels over time. So, and that's where the, the escape velocity comes. If you think right. about it, we're stacking different strategies to the point where each strategy, as you know, if I deploy a remarketing strategy, it's going to improve my direct ads. And if I do some content marketing, it's going to improve, you know, right. some other strategies. So it's, it, they all incrementally support each other. And that's how we create hockey sticks, right? They don't magically just like, you know, people talk about, you know, silver bullets and it's just not true, right? They're fun to romanticize, right? We love to mm -hmm. talk about Airbnb's distribution hack, publishing to Craigslist, which is true, but they also did things that were unconventional, like taking photos, high quality photos that they owned of the places when they listed. And I know Joe and Brian, mm -hmm. they, my cohort of SaaS founders back in the day, you know, Travis Kalanick from Uber was an investor in my company, Flowtown, a good friend of mine. Um, you know, uh, Joe and Brian at Airbnb, Drew from Dropbox, um, you know, Aaron from Box.net, like literally the guys that mm -hmm. I would hang out in San Francisco with. That's the, yeah. the, 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 my uh, Heaton from Kissmetrics and many others. So um, 
that's my pedigree. Those are those are the guys that I turn to. And like for me, it's three different things from a from a if we want to focus on what do we need to focus on to create kind of that flywheel, it's positioning, right? So it's really understanding how to position your product, which I think a lot of direct marketers understand the fundamentals of like an ICP. But in in SaaS, it's really about you know, unmet needs. So can we build a compelling, this is where they talk about product market fit. Can we yeah. build a compelling product that meets the market that is so compelling that the market pulls it into itself? Um, they're quick mm. to buy and they spend the most. And the reason why those two things are important is short sales cycles for high sales velocity and um, cash, like ability to return CAC, which is your cost to acquire customer in a yeah. short enough period to fund growth. And that is the real people are like, why does this company need to raise $100 million? It's literally to just pay for growth. You know, most of the time, right. the product doesn't really need to evolve at that point. It's just the, the incremental cost. But the reason why SaaS companies have such great valuations is because they are these long-term annuities. If they're built properly, they will, they will produce cash, you know, in perpetuity. Like, they'll just keep going. Um, so yeah. positioning is one. Two is product, right, which I talked a little bit. One is getting the core value. I think a lot of info coaches can really understand this. Um, I think of it as like the first time user experience. You might have experienced this in gaming. Gaming has level one. Level one is really a training level. It's to teach you how to use the game and do the moves. Product should do the same thing and coaching should do the same thing. You should really think about right. that first. In coaching, I call it the first 100 days. I got that from my buddy, Joey Coleman. He wrote a great book called Never Lose a Customer. But core value, getting all products uh, are all customers experience the core value and we can dive into that because that's my favorite kind of stuff shareable moments um if you don't think about how the product inherently gets other people exp uh, exposed to it then you don't understand kind of viral coefficients and and, yeah. and really what's called viral word of mouth marketing vwom um and then the third big piece is promotion which to me is opn i know you said real estate or we talked about it quickly um you know other people's money we we call it other people's networks and those are mm -hmm. examples of the youtubes on on myspace social you know they're embed to um the airbnb example on craigslist to facebook literally buying address books from other companies and then tagging you in the like literally they would buy Anybody that did an address book importer for like a networking type tool, they would buy them and send an email to the list saying you've been tagged in a photo on Facebook. Wasn't true, but I'll tell you, people will <laughs> click through, register, sign up, go through the onboarding experience to, to right. even see the potential of, you know. Uh, so yeah. that's, that's on the promotion side. And that's where like the growth map, and I can deconstruct that for people, is really how we create that flywheel to get escape velocity. There's a lot in there, but that's, you know, 20 years of SaaS trying to compress in four minutes. Yeah, it's a it's a, a big task. So you said that the core values piece was really important and something that you love to talk about. So talk to me more, more about that. So so I learned this. I My office for Flowtown, one of the companies I started uh, and exited was in Twitter's building in the early days, 2009. And there was a guy there named Josh Elman. Josh has now become a VC, incredibly successful. Twitter in the early days, a lot of people don't remember that... Um, you know, there was a fail whale. Um, it, it literally, the infrastructure was not smart. People didn't really understand. Like if you got Twitter, somebody sat you down and explained you Twitter, right? Like no product today would, would be able to, to withstand that kind of like complexity mm. and understanding. And yeah. what, what Josh did was his, his specialty was really um, getting the, the uh, first time user experience, the Fatui, right? Or the onboarding, whatever you want to call it, um, figured out to position the product. Cause how you 
unfold a product to somebody, how the sign-up flow experience happens tells a story, right? Every product mm. has a product story based on the sequence of steps that you ask people to go through when they yeah. sign up. And if you do that right, then the last step should be somebody experiencing core value of the product. From there, you now have permission to show them a bunch of other features and complexity, but if you don't get them there, so for example, uh, what's a product that you guys use SaaS-wise in your business? Uh, we'll use HubSpot. Perfect. If, if HubSpot doesn't get you, um, let's say on the, the marketing, if it doesn't get you to get a lead from a capture form, they don't get you on the, the, the core value. So everything, and that's why I like, and I know Dharmesh, he was an incredible mentor to me, uh, the CTO of HubSpot and, and Brian Coffey. So I, I run a very high-end group for B2B SaaS founders, and we just went to HubSpot uh, in January in, in Boston and sat down, talked product strategy. And, and for them, they were sharing about why they make people spend $2,000 typically for coaching um, mm. because they need people to go through that configuration and data migration step. You know, HubSpot is a oh, very- Oh, dude, they were hardcore about yeah, that. Th it's a non-negotiable. <laughs> like, they're like, we've tested it both ways. Yeah. It's a non-negotiable because um, mm. they know what, and what's great about software, it's so data-driven, you just can split test what, right. what works and mm -hmm. what doesn't, and then you can just make business decisions around it. But that's the idea of core value. It's what is the thing that somebody needs to experience that's gonna make them go, aha, right? Because if they don't go, aha, then they don't get it. And if it looks like everything everybody else has, that doesn't work either. So that's where a lot of these MarTech companies, I mean, email marketing, probably one of the most competitive, you know, there's probably 400 yeah. different email service providers out there uh, sliced up in different niches, verticals, feature right. sets, price points, blah, blah, blah. But at, at the core, you know, you have to get the new user to experience some value in, and it literally has to be in that first time they use the product. So if you think about mm. it from a coaching perspective, you know, and, and, and I run a coaching business and I'm, I'm happy, Chris, to unpack the um, what I did in SaaS applied to coaching because I definitely yes. translated that. Um, we call them quick wins. Like we know like there is a handful of things that if depending on the vertical you serve and the price point you're at, et cetera, and your go to market, that if you do these quick wins, you're going to get results. That's our equivalent of core value. And pretty much you're not allowed to move forward until we get you that. Because nothing mm. else will matter. Literally, right. it's it's part of the onboarding steps. It's a data point. It's measured. And we have a percent complete for all new customers. Did they get that win? Because if right. not, I need to figure out what's missing because that's mm. it's a non-negotiable. That's awesome. So would you say that's a mechanism for believability um, in, in what the, the, the outcome should be? It's, 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 so sometimes it's believability. Ideally, it's an actual result. Um, when I built my company clarity, which was an online kind of like if LinkedIn had a call button, that was the premise. Um, a lot of people when they signed up, they weren't ready to do a call because it costs money. There were, they didn't yeah. really have a problem, right? They were just curious. So the way we overcame that is, uh, we let them listen to a call with Mark Cuban and somebody reaching out for his advice, right? Cause Mark was on the, the network. Ooh. So that was, that's a way to, sometimes if you have a product that's highly um, like an e-commerce you know, shopping cart, it's hard to simulate yeah. that core value, like right. a transaction. So you, you can do some really neat things in these blank slate moments to kind of simulate it. Um, and I think that's what in, internet marketers or info marketers, et cetera, do really great jobs at is their marketing helps just take away all the objections so that the people will buy 
However, once they buy, you know, get, yeah. getting the wins is going to be, you know, there, there should be a very clear, and again, Joey Coleman has this process that he lays out seven different phases. There needs to be a process right to the end. And this is, this is again from software is uh, we call them purple customers. They're referable, right? Like yeah. in, in SaaS, if mm. you don't create a database of referenceable customers, then you're not able to sell because every new opportunity yeah. is going to ask, okay, I need to talk to two or three you know, uh, references and you need to build that. And that's a different level of I'm satisfied, right? You can have red, right. yellow, green, right? Which people stop purple is no, no, they're, they're, they're locked and loaded there. You can send yeah. them clients and they will say good things because we got them to that point. I love that. Yeah, man, I'm getting so many ideas on what we can do with, uh, the stuff that, that we're doing with all of our companies, but, so it's it's a mechanism, yeah, for believability, but ultimately for achievement. It has right? to be, yeah. I mean, a lot of this stuff, you know, if you if you distilled it into its essence, I would say it's probably gaming inspired. Like nobody's ever said that to me, but when I look at, you know, how mm-hmm. games are developed, um, narrative storylines, um, XP, right, experience points. A lot of people are, like I think game of gamified experiences was supposed to be this holy grail of activation and product, but yeah. it never really materialized. But you know, Near Eal wrote a great book called Hooked, which talks about how some companies use psychology and color and uh, product experiences mm. to create this dopamine hit that we're all familiar with. If you've ever, yep. you know, gotten lost for three hours and had browser blindness on Facebook, then you know what I'm talking about because literally they have PhD level. Um, experts trying to figure out, should I make this button this shade of blue or different shade or copy? And they'll split test this. I mean, I read the engineering blogs for Facebook and I see, they call it uh, gateway. It's a whole framework around how they deploy tests to like, you know, 10 million people. And only those 10 million people see it and they split test to kind of figure out, you know, did this get more engagement? And they're, they're going low level psychological stuff. So, I mean, um, I say gaming is probably where a lot of people, if they could be inspired to how they run their businesses, could could kind of see how the game. I mean, even just the fact that level one completion, there's this um, yeah. above normal celebration, right? Like you just finished a level, but it's like you <laughs> you saved the world. That yeah. that ha- that's a design. I mean, same thing with like some of the when I install new versions of product and I see them do like you know I write congrats on Facebook and it makes this whole. So it makes me want to do congrats yeah. more, right? Well, why? Well, they know that Feels if more good. people say congrats, the more dopamine hits on the other end, the more engagement they have for the product, et cetera, et cetera. So like, yeah, it's fascinating. I'm curious if you've used this not only on the customer client side, but have you utilized this strategy for your team, your employees? Yeah. All, so, so to me, I look at business as two funnels, right? We have the customer funnel and we have the employee funnel. And, and, and everything you do for a customer in regards to, you know, marketing and sourcing and qualifying and onboarding and, you know, retention and referrals and all that stuff, the employee stacks the exact same way. And I learned this building this company called Sphere Technologies that was an enterprise portal company selling to Fortune 500 companies that, you know, really my job as a CEO was making sure there was enough pipeline and sales and people pipeline. And if those two things kind of, you know, I knew what my lead time was for, for building out the team based on project size and kind of deployment. So um, to me, everything that you do for your customer 100% correlates and translates into the team side. Mm. It's good. So since you're the Obi-Wan Kenobi of 
scaling. What would you say are some of the biggest learning lessons you've had uh, in scaling businesses? I mean, there's so many different facets I'd, I'd want to unpack there. Um, if I had to distill one that I feel like really resonates with people, it's the idea of buying back your time. Okay. And it's a core metric. I have five, five core metrics I, I, I monitor for my high-end clients, right? I've got my SaaS Academy program, and then I have my 10 million plus ARR companies like ClickFunnels, I coach and Carrot.com and Proposify. And one of the core metrics is, is how much time did you buy back? And here's why, mm. especially as the founder, most people hire to add capacity, it's a very normal thing. You're, you're like, okay, I'm yeah. really busy. I need to hire somebody to help with like if I'm e-commerce right. like shipping out stuff. And, and I get it. And what happens is at some point, and usually around 12 people, about a million in revenue, um, and it's plus or minus, you know, 20%, depending on your industry, uh, you realize you have 12 direct reports. You realize that you spend most of your day managing the other people. So I call this trans, yep. you know, transactional leadership versus transformational leadership. You tell them what to do. You check that it got done. You tell them what to do next. That's transactional leadership. Right. And, if you, and if you hire people for capacity, you essentially have 12 people to do that with. If you instead buy back your time, what you're doing is essentially you're looking at your own calendar and you're, you're saying, okay, I'm spending 30% of my time in this task. Um, and I need to hire somebody to do that task. It doesn't hire capacity on the thing that I feel like I need to do, but in, in mm -hmm. indirectly it does. Do you, do you, so Chris, some people don't understand the nuance, but you've been in business long enough that you can probably see the difference is when 100%. you, yeah, when you buy back your time as the founder, then you're able to grow because you've created space. So most entrepreneurs yep. will actually never grow into pain because growing means more work. So they'll actually yep. self-sabotage themselves. They don't even realize they're doing this yep. because growth means hurt and pain and frustration and challenges. Whereas if you flip it and say, I'm, I'm only investing a dollar of labor to buy back some time in my calendar, then really quickly, usually around seven people, you feel almost like guilty for the amount of time you have. But the best thing is, is most entrepreneurs I know will very quickly figure out how to leverage that time to do things that only they're uniquely qualified to do. Partnerships, product strategy, yep. um, you know, really, you know, speaking, that kind of stuff that adds just so much, you know, um, exponential value to the business. And then, then you pair that with transformational leadership, which is setting a clear outcome, like really clear. Like, I don't think people understand when I, when I talk outcomes, like the other day I was talking to my finance leader and I said, dude, I want our receivable process to be so good that somebody offers to write a book about it. Mm. that's really like do you get that adam yes. he's like i got it and i was like do you really get it because i'm talking about like it's so amazing and so creative and just beautiful in its elegance and simplicity yes. that somebody says that's a book man what you created there it's just so simple you know i don't know what that's going to look like and i don't care honestly i worry about the where i don't worry about the how okay yeah. and from that that's outcome then we talk about measure. Here's the data points. You know, average days outstanding. We're gonna we're gonna measure so right. you know we're, we're progressing. And then the third is I'm gonna coach them to success, right? And I feel like, you know, I've had business coaches in my career. My first coach, 23, didn't even have the business yet. Hired an Emith coach. Read the book Emith, Sarah's Pies, Michael Gerber. It was the audio book, so it's Gerber's voice in my ear. And I was like, that's the way to do it. I've been doing this wrong. I had two failed companies right out of the, the gate. And um, I hired this guy, Bob, I think it was like 1500 bucks a month or something, Zero, no money, no business. And I just figured, you know what? I'd rather 
spend the money to teach myself stuff, even if I didn't have a business. Heck yeah. And uh, that ended up being the best decision I ever, I ever made. And it was, you know, really around the coaching to success that I realized that my job as a leader, and it takes a lot of self-discipline, as you know, like we all go through this like evolution as an entrepreneur. And trust me, I yep. was the transactional leader, like just do this, shut the fuck yep. up, get it done. Tell me when it's done. I got more shit to give you. Uh, but then you realize that you end up working so hard that yep. if you're literally hiring incredibly smart people, you're, you know, you're not getting their best. My biggest fear always was having somebody leave and go start a business that was better than mine. And they would have given me all that knowledge, but mm. I never asked for it. And I didn't create a, right. like, isn't that crazy, Chris? That like, yeah, my fear is that dude. somebody actually has an incredible idea, but I didn't create the space for them to feel comf confident or comfortable enough to share it with me. Uh, or even prompt it. So now it's part of our one-on-one -on -one kind of agenda so that it's not even just me right. and my whole management team. But th those, I think that's probably the most relevant to your audience because coaches definitely have a hard time with this. They make the mistake of hiring students. Those students really just want to be close to the guru and those people don't want to do the work mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, if you can just look at your calendar and do a time study over the last two weeks and just slowly pick away at it, literally your business can look dramatically different in 16 months. And, and the big thing, and one big idea for me that I always talk about my clients with is multi-generational wealth. And this is how we create an asset that is valuable. So yeah. most people think, and I, and I used to think that if I build this thing, you know, coaching business, it's me, I'm the coach, right? Right. Um, so it's never going to be valuable to somebody else. And it's just so not true. You know, I can, sh yeah. I can show you other companies that have built IP and certifications and coaching process. And, and really it's just, can you build a repeatable, a scalable process that generates results and, and, and that doesn't require you? Well, the only way that doesn't require you is if you spend a dollar of labor to buy back something out of your calendar. Now, at some point that those dollars are those, that labor is expensive, right? To yeah. hire management team is going to be, you know, six figures plus and, and, and comps, but it's cheap. Because the yeah. real value, and uh, if you haven't listened, have you ever listened to Naval? It's a podcast, just Naval. Mm -mm. Okay, I'm giving everybody one of, literally, I love Seth Godin. I love all the, the greats. I've read over a thousand business books. Naval was one of my mentors. He's the founder of AngelList. Before that, he's just a baller in the valley. And he, um, for some reason, got on this rant where uh, Nivy, his business partner, just started asking him questions on a podcast about life and wealth, how do you create wealth? And Naval spent three hours talking about it and it's the best business wealth creation content out there. It should be a book and uh, it's very underground. So go listen to it. But the, one of the things that Naval taught me was that uh, real wealth comes from equity ownership in businesses. And that's the, and this is kind of what Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, uh, um, yeah. he tried to talk about like Kiyosaki, Kiyosaki from uh, business owner to investor. But to me, it's a lot clearer when it's equity. That's why angel investor, yeah. I buy companies now it's, is equity is the real value of wealth. Real estate is actually the same thing. It's just the asset is the building. Right. Right. So, so that's where people are like, what about real estate? No, no. you you own a building that's equity, right? The, the, the machine, the business yeah. is the, mach yeah. the building. Business is the same thing. And the only way to build the business that doesn't require you involved is literally just you got to buy back your time, not buy for capacity. Dude, what you just unpacked is stuff I'm really passionate about because 
I've gone through the pain of being a terrible leader. <laughs> we all working. Have. That's how we get working a hundred hours a week, you yeah. know? And I think the challenge that people have is because they do work 60, 70, 80, hundred hours a week, they feel like it's not even possible. Right. And that's what you were just referring to. I think one of the greatest skills that you can develop is the skill of being a great leader and being a great leader to me is being able to identify the right people who are the right culture fit, right attitude, um, that you can set them up for success and get out of their way and remove any barriers from their way. And that's the thing that's been probably the most transformational. Now we have tremendous cap space, right? In all of our companies and we have multiple companies. And what you're talking about is going after equity now, right? Because we have cap space. We understand how to leverage, uh, you know, capacity and growth and scale through leadership and having the right people and, Letting them do what they're amazing at. Build the people, you know, the people build the business. 100%, dude. That's, that's like, like, but that's like the, it's like, um, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of entrepreneurship. Like you really need to build. Most people just never allow themselves to build that kind of business, right? When you get into the 20, 50, 100, 200 employees, there, you don't even get there unless you figure that out. And it's usually like yeah. at the max, it's 30. You can literally brute force it to 30 people. But yeah. you, what happens is you get so much turnover that you're just capped. You literally are dealing with fires every day and you don't even know this is happening. Yep. If you want to crack that 30 person mark, uh, and ideally you'll feel the pain at 12, um, there's, there's no other way, full stop, period. You can't prove me wrong. Yeah, yeah I agree, 100%. We're on the same page, my brother. It's cool. No, I see what you guys built, man. It's impressive. Thank you. Um, I'll leave it off with uh, one last question for you. And if you have any of the other words you want to give, the words of wisdom, I'm curious what you would say if you could recommend one lesson that non-SaaS companies can take from SaaS companies on how to scale, how to build quickly, how to be profitable, what would that lesson be? It's a simple equation. It's, it's the number of people that choose not to buy again from you this month or cancel over the, underneath over the number of people that refer new business. Hmm. And it's just, you can't scale. Most people don't realize, like, let's take a, for example, a group coaching program that's got like, you know, it's, it's every month, right? A membership site. There's a certain point where your ability to fill the top of the funnel. there's only three, three, three kind of levers in those businesses. And then you hit what's called the growth ceiling. And this is yeah. SaaS, right? Is your ability to add new people every month, the amount of people that cancel every month and the amount of money you can charge per month. That's called ARPU, average right. revenue per user. And for me, it's, it's, I've always gone to the referral side because the referral is just such a beautiful activity that's backed by so much other stuff that has to happen for you to get that. And if you literally build the business with the premise that for every one customer I get, I'm going to work my ass off to get at least 1.5 referrals, then you'll always be net positive in your growth engine. Mm. And if you don't, then you're always going to fight against the the headwind or the tide or the the stream, you know, because yeah. you're trying to fill that funnel to make up for the ones that you've lost. And it's a percentage game. So if you're at 20% churn on your group mm. coaching program or your membership site, you can pretty much model out the because I in my I have a whole spreadsheet where you put in the data and it shows you the date that it's going to happen where you're going to flatline. And for a lot of businesses, it's not like for membership site, for, they're at 300, like they don't even realize that this is a, this is a $300,000 
growth ceiling or a group coaching right. business. This is a, you know, 8 million, 10 million a year, which for some people they'd be like, yay, I'm ecstatic for me that I don't want growth ceiling. So that's the big yeah. thing is that if you can't figure out how to have the number of people referred in your deal flow or whatever pipe drive, whatever you want to measure uh, based over the ones that cancel or don't repurchase, um, then you're always going to be stuck. And that's true for SaaS. That's true for gym memberships. That's true for coaching. Dude, that's awesome. Um, two questions. How do you have any information on referral stuff that people can go and check out that you've talked about? Maybe even if you have this gamifying referrals. I give away everything I know for free on my YouTube channel. So I, I literally have um, blessed to have the largest SaaS site. But as you've discovered, 80% of SaaS is transferable, <clears throat> right? Um, and really 95. I mean, if you want to get nerdy on like, you know, expansion revenue and pricing stuff, I think yeah. there's a lot that SaaS does well that other businesses could borrow. But uh, Dan Martell or Dan V. Martell is my channel or just search Dan Martell on YouTube. Literally, if you search, I've got, I publish every Monday for four years and I've made a commitment for 10. So I've got another six to go. I have the content, like I, I don't Dude. stop um, and it's, Everything I talk about buying back your time to, yeah. to building sales teams, to building marketing growth engines, et cetera, it's there. So you just search the Dan Martell plus the term you need. Um, and if it's not there, leave a comment. I process every week and that's what guides my uh, editorial. Awesome. You've got great content and goodies on your website, danmartell.com as well. Yeah, that's the primary. The way I think about it is if you want to potentially work together, just email me, dan at danmartell.com. If you want to be inspired, Instagram main feed. If you want to see behind the scenes, Instagram stories. If you want to laugh a little bit, TikTok. I'm on there. I just had a video go viral and I wasn't dancing to Renegade and I'm not a 13-year-old girl, so that's cool. Um, <laughs> You've got good looks though. Well, that might have something to do with it, but I, I'm really <laughs> proud of that viral video after 100 posting. And then um, my YouTube is where I teach everything I know. That's one of my rules in life. It's what does Martell, what does it mean to be a Martell? We teach everything we know. And that's, mm. that's where I do that. Awesome. Any last words of wisdom? Yeah, I just think if you're, if you're in the shit right now, because I think a lot of people are. Um, yeah. And I know you hear it all the time. And, I'm, and I hope this comes across is just you have to have um, you have to have blind faith. What what I went through as a teenager, you know, and working the 12 steps, they talk about this often because there's no proof. There's no there's nothing to believe in. There's just like this, right. this blind faith that if I follow this process, my life may look differently. And I'm telling you, if you wake up every day, cause that's the only thing you can control. If you, if you literally say, okay, I don't have proof in my life that any of this is going to work out, but I can decide tomorrow to wake up at a better time to do a strict morning routine, to move my body, to get my health on, get my sweat on and to put in and create some real work. And if I just do that consistently over yeah. time, just trust in the process, it'll, it'll come, it'll, your life will look so you won't even be able to manifest this yep. stuff, but it requires belief. It literally requires you to have belief when there's no proof of it. And that's yep. all I can say. If you're listening to this and you, you, you resonate with my story, just know that my life is an example of that, of making decisions every day with a sense of belief that's unjustified for the reality mm. I'm living in, knowing yep. that the possibility is there for me to have. Beautiful. Yeah, man, you that's great. And people have to realize that they have the power to create whatever reality they want. It's theirs. And they already got everything 100%. they know, everything they need to know, everybody they need to know, they already got it. That's the coolest part. Yes, I love it. 
Dan, thanks for your time. The Obi-Wan. Thanks, bro. Cheers. Thanks for listening. For more from Chris and Taylor, visit trafficandfunnels.com and get a free gift just for being a subscriber. That's trafficandfunnels.com.